Um. Oh, and right on time. Oh, great. Oh, is that moving in? No, that's got to be the garbage man. Nope, it's moving in. Is it? Yeah, right across the street. It's just uh, maybe if we could tie it in between <laughs> ups and downs, because right now it would be all right. It rattles when it comes down and when it goes up. Hello, and welcome to Filling in the Gaps. I'm Justin. I'm Darren. Here on Filling in the Gaps, we discuss puzzle games and puzzling movies. This one, not totally puzzling, but I do like to discuss this one as we have with some others, just how well put together it is Mm -hmm. and how the pieces all come together. There will be a couple things I think you will be able to fill in or probably already have, and we just need to (laughs) get it out of your brain and go, that was Darren's thinking, not something to actually put in the movie. Yeah, probably. Probably lots of that. Just so you know, heads up. There may be some random sounds in this episode you wouldn't normally hear. Just as we started to record, Darren had some neighbors moving in. So if you hear some rattling and things like that in the background, it's because we didn't catch it and we talked over it. So fair warning. Yeah. And also people don't move into houses here like they do elsewhere. There's like giant elevators that go up and down to chuck furniture through windows. (laughs) The way you say that makes sense. It's like a trebuchet. It's basically a sort of platform that is on a truck. So it's a mobile platform that you can move up to put stuff gently from the window out. (laughs) Because in these tall buildings, it's just so much faster. And then you don't clog up the elevator moving stuff in and out. And you don't have to worry about stuff not fitting in the elevator, like sofas and things. Yeah, exactly. That's genius, but... Doesn't look very safe, does it? There's no railings on the side of it. It's like they say don't don't walk under ladders. Definitely don't walk under one of those. <laughs> Synchronic is from 2019. It is from <laughs> some of our favorites of the podcast. Directors Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, written by Justin Benson, as was the case with Resolution and The Endless. Both movies that we loved. We enjoyed Spring, but it was not Quite as good for us, and certainly not kind of a Gaps episode. (laughs) Yeah, not really. What I will say, though, is that I'm pretty sure, at least in one of those, I said, I would like to see them move beyond just doing that world of Resolution and the Endless. I would like to see them do something else and branch out. And they have. They have done a couple things for Disney now. They did a couple episodes of... Moon Knight and an episode of Loki. Okay. They've also done a couple episodes of Archive 81, which was a Netflix series, which was pretty decent. Mm -hmm. As far as this movie, though, IMDb only has it at a 6.2, which feels a little low. Rotten Tomato critics and audience fairly agree. 79% for critics and 76% fresh for the audience. As far as synopsis for this movie, it's a bit difficult to get into it without giving things away. I will say, obviously, with a name like Synchronic, I think you could put together at least one of the genres is going to be fitting. The main characters, we're going to say, I think that there are two. I mean, one is obviously more than the other, but Mm -hmm. we have basically two protagonists here. They are paramedics. A lot of what goes down is basically because a new drug has appeared in the world and is causing problems. Which they are somehow attracted to. (laughs) (laughs) Conveniently. 
much like any TV series, all focused around one problem. If the police are involved, and that's our main character, every case they're going to have is always somehow involved with the main problem. (laughs) They never seem to have just a regular, oh, this was a break-in, and it's just a regular break-in. Got to give this guy a ticket for speeding. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Because he's connected to the demon I'm chasing somehow. Yeah, it's kind of like that, but it works much better in a movie, I think, than a TV series, typically. It stars Anthony Mackie who you'll recognize from Avengers and the Netflix movie IO and a number of other things. He's been in so many things. I recognize him, but I haven't seen him in any of those. What was it I've seen him in? It was something else. But I think it was in an episode of Black Mirror. Yes. The other main actor here is Jamie Dornan, who most people probably recognize from Fifty Shades of Grey and its sequels. Not me. (laughs) I probably first saw him in The Fall. Yeah, I definitely have not seen this guy in anything. I didn't know who he was. He was good. The fall for me was not so much. Mm-hmm. It started off great, and then by the end of the first season, I kind of lost interest. Most of the other people I didn't recognize. There is one other actor I'm going to mention for a totally different reason later on. Okay. I would say this is a movie, for me at least, where I would recommend it as a whole. I do think it is good. I think it is pretty good all the way through. But I think that for me, a lot of the best parts are at the beginning. And then it gets a little bit less interesting as I go through. And I'm not sure why, but I think maybe in talking about it today, as we do go through kind of each section, I think it's going to kind of come to me by the end. How do you feel about this movie? Kind of the same. Yeah, it starts off great. I really loved the middle part of the movie. It was the ending that was it was okay, but that's it. It was like it was all right. It didn't really do anything big for me at the end. And so I was a little bit let down. Overall, it's still fine, you know? Yeah, I definitely would recommend it. I think that you should definitely check it out before listening to this, because we're definitely going to give spoilers, as we always do, especially if you like some of the other stuff they've done. If you like The Endless or Resolution, this isn't the same. No, it's not. And I don't think it's as good as those. I would say the first half hour is. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's real similar, isn't it? A real similar feel. And they do a lot of fantastic stuff at the beginning that is worth watching even just from a movie-making, storytelling standpoint. I think that it is well worth watching. And you definitely, I mean, obviously, once you start watching, you're going to watch it all the way through. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we can really talk about this one much without getting into spoilers. So we recommend it. Here it is, your spoiler warning. The movie is going to open with hands intertwined. I think there are storm sounds sort of in the background. The hands separate. There's a man and woman in what looks like a very well-lived-in hotel room. They've got clothes hanging everywhere. The place is just chock-a-block full of stuff that you wouldn't normally have if you were just staying for a night or two. These are people who live here. Yeah. They take a pill and watch what looks like a Buddha statue on the screen, glowing lights behind it. He does some drawing. He's going to kiss her. He takes the ice bucket and gets on the elevator. More storm sounds. She seems relaxed and happy until she notices something and then she starts to freak out. The TV and everything on that wall has been replaced by what looks like part of a forest. The elevator numbers on the screen are going weird. 
He doesn't really seem to notice. He steps out into the desert. Back in the room, there is now a person coming out of the wall. Yep. As we pan back to her, she is now completely in the wilderness. The bed is sort of half in this world, and she is in the world, but the rest of the hotel room is gone now. Yep. They all scream. Woman, man, and who I call the forest man all scream. We don't hear the scream. I think it's better the way they do it as a silent scream. The man from the elevator, he basically just falls from the sky. Cut to totally different scene. The paramedics arrive. Our main characters, Steve and Dennis. Tom, the driver, dropped them off at 1170, and it should be 1107. Yes, they're walking down the street with the crash cart. (laughs) So, yeah, it's a walk for them. I love this, though. This whole bit here is fantastic for setting up Their situation, their relationship, their sort of banter. Fantastic chemistry in this one. Mm -hmm. The way Dennis yells at Tom. "Ah, Tom! (laughs) Wrong one! He's the worst driver. Sets that up. And that gets played again and again. Not overplayed, but played enough so that you never forget that Tom is the worst in (laughs) Dennis's eyes and does constantly make mistakes. Yeah. Steve admits to being hungover, says his mouth tastes like that awful cinnamon whiskey, and he's got some glitter that won't come off, which leads us to believe where they spent the night before, mm-hmm. especially given that they go there a couple of times later. But we don't know for sure at this point. But there is reference to the fact that he's wearing not his uniform. No, what, what, what even is that he's wearing? It's just a shirt. Well, this sets up a couple of different things. First off, it sets up that Steve is the kind of person who has one-night stands, and this seems to be common. It's not a shock in any way. It's par for the course, the way they discuss it. He woke up and just threw on clothes. It was too dark, so he wasn't sure what he was grabbing, so he grabbed hers. She works at a sporting goods store, and the symbol on the shirt, for you, this is American football, and it would be the local team. Yeah, I didn't really know anything about the logo or whatever. But yeah, that's a brave shirt, man. It's like, it looks like Flash Gordon. <laughs> it's just very shiny. Yeah. I think if you work at a sporting goods store, though, totally fine. Yeah. He's also wearing sort of a purplish jacket, which Steve goes, oh, yeah, I guess this jacket isn't professional enough. So he takes it off in kind of anger. And Dennis puts it on going, good, I was cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic chemistry, relationship building, We know who these characters are, at least a lot about these characters right away. And it's done so well and feels so natural as part of what we are doing. And I love it. There's some creepy music, a sting. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to pan to creepy porch lady. Yeah, well out of it. I think in the the credits she's referred to as crackhead. Uh, (laughs) Makes sense. That's what I thought (laughs) immediately. She has a very interesting voice and it just... Fits the mood of this weird scene so perfectly. Yeah. She says, I think they need help. (laughs) And here we have an amazing, at least what I think is an amazing, uncut pan and walk through. You get the scene, you're in it, you sort of get the POV, but then it becomes not that in a way that is really interesting. And just every bit of this is visually something. What they put on the screen, what they put on the set, It's just really good. 
As we're walking into the house, we see that it's cluttered, but not in a way that looks like it's properly lived in. This is a weird sort of cluttered, people spend time here, but there doesn't seem to be the normal living room arrangement or anything like that. Yeah, it's just a drug den, isn't it? Yeah. As we go in, there is a man bloody on the ground. I thought he was dead. He's not. Mm. You can see a very young woman, probably teenager, in the next room. And what is great about this is you sort of see her head in the doorway and her torso through a broken part or missing part of the wall, Mm -hmm. which again indicates that the house is in disrepair and looks like nobody cares. When we get the next bit of dialogue, it is the creepy porch woman coming in from behind the camera to say, I hope she wakes up. I think she has school tomorrow. (laughs) That brings us then out of the first person point of view And now we can see our characters again. They each take a person. Dennis is helping the bloody man on the ground. And we're going to find out he's got a sucking wound. We're going to see a bit later. Goes all the way through. The teenager, she is unconscious and unresponsive. Steve is asking creepy porch lady, what did she take? What happened? And I believe her response was, it's heroin. And that was just before he accidentally gets a needle stick. Yeah. (laughs) The way he pulls that up, that's awful. That's really scary. Yeah, it's like in the webbing of his fingers. (laughs) That's so painful. Behind him, a cop appears and says, show me your hands, put away any weapons, something like that. It takes them a minute to realize, oh, he's a paramedic. So we have this, uh, what do we say, semi-racist, semi-just bad cop? Not really a bad cop, but he's definitely not very professional in his manner. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, racism is a recurring theme throughout the whole movie. So it's like, this is where we first see it. Sets it up for the rest of the film. He says something along the lines of, well, if you're going to dress like Tupac to work, how am I going to know? Do you know what Tupac even dresses like? (laughs) He does not dress like that. (laughs) Though there is a good bit of dialogue here where he says, I think the dispatch messed up they said it was an assault Hmm. so the cops came in expecting a different situation and this seems to happen a couple times in the movie where they get there and what they're told to expect is not what they are getting yeah one thing i do want to mention is that as steve was first assessing the situation he looked up and there are all these pictures and weird symbols on the wall along with the words time is a lie which Okay, we're in the spoiler section. With a name like Synchronic, I already knew it had to do with time. Yeah. (laughs) But this means they aren't going to hide that fact. They're putting it right out there in the beginning. Here's a hint about what it is. Yeah, it's not like the big reveal at the end or anything like that. Steve is going to inject the girl with, uh, I forget what the drug is, but basically she wakes up. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) after... Porch lady is like, hey, can I get some of that? (laughs) He's then going to go out and try to help with the other guy. As I said, he's been stabbed through. The cop shows them the packet saying, ah, this is designer drug. It's not illegal. What are we going to do? And the other cop says, well, this may not be illegal, but heroin is. And we've got you on that. So why don't you tell us what else you've got? And where is (laughs) he's like? What do we think? Knife? Nah, bigger. What is 
All right, tell me where the sword is. <laughs> he says it in such a way that makes me think he's encountered this sort of drug house sword situation before. <laughs> yeah, that's just like the most ridiculous thing for a weapon. Yeah. And it is a pretty ridiculous weapon because that knife looks like something out of Warhammer 40k, man. All right, we are in the spoiler section. I did notice it looked very weird, and I think that that is on purpose. I think that is part of the distortion we're going to have to talk about later. Yeah, definitely because of that. But yeah, it looks like it's almost like a Rambo knife. It's, it looks like a cutlass as well. It's got like the handle and stuff as well. It basically looks like it's been eaten by rust through the middle of it. Yeah, kind of, which is what I thought at first. Oh, mm. they're just saying that it's very old. Right. But as they're putting the man on the cart, a coin falls. Steve picks it up and looks at it, and it's very weird. It's sort of stretched out on one side and has points. Yeah. When I saw that, I, I've got like this piece of shrapnel from, from a tank. There was these rounds that they used to use, like these kind of kinetic rounds. You would fire at a tank. It doesn't do any damage, but it heats it up so much on the, on the outside it causes bits of metal to melt off on the inside and bounce around the inside of the tank and take it out. And I've got a piece of that shrapnel. And it is exactly like that coin. It's, but it's more oblong. It's more egg-shaped. But it's got all those streaks coming off, off the back of it. It looks like a comet almost. It's pretty cool. Well, I mean, pretty horrific way to die. But that was it. Exactly, exactly the same as that coin. Steve looks at the coin in wonder. He pockets it. As I leave, the cops swing open the door. And this is where we see, well, they sort of close the door and there's the sword. This is a little weird, the fact that it's clearly on the wall, but it had been stabbed through the guy. I think that's going to have to do with the phasing that happens. Sure. I think... Give them that. I will give them that. <laughs> I think it's still a little weird given the angle and the height, but we don't know what it looked like in the past. Do we know that height can make a difference? Could have been standing on it. It could have been a hill in that little mound in that place on a rock, whatever. Yeah. I'm happy to just fill that gap and say, that's what happened. Mm -hmm. Here's something I want to note. That whole opening is only like 10 minutes. <laughs> and I probably watched and rewatched parts of it to take the notes. There's just so much going on. It's so dense and every second seems to be important. And every frame is just well thought out. This is a fantastic, ooh, what do we have going? Short film is what this would be. Right. And it's amazing. I probably spent half an hour just going over and over this scene and i do not regret it and i would watch it again that is part of what i mean what i said before about how it starts off amazing and then it just kind of goes down a bit mm -hmm. that's the thing you started off with something that is just every second seems to be so important and so dense and i almost needed a break after this to not quite so much and certainly by the end i don't need that at all we're going to cut to black we're going to do this a lot in the movie there is an overhead shot of the ambulance on the bridge. Then it converts into a starry sky. And then we're going to see Steve sleeping as we hear the rain start. However, in reality, there is no rain. Dennis is hitting golf balls. They're waiting for a call, basically. And he talks about his daughter, who is about 18. He's talking something about age difference and everything. I didn't really know what they were talking about at this point. We haven't seen his family yet. And in fact, it was very confusing because I'm already thinking about time and time travel. The movie's called Synchronic. When we cut to the first birthday party, I thought we went back in time. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is the near 18-year-old daughter he was talking about. She's now on the first birthday. But that's not the case because we're going to see the 18-year-old daughter 
in just a bit. There's a fantastic bit here with Dennis's wife. And I will say one thing I would suggest that they do a bit more is when they introduce a character, maybe get their name out a few times. I don't think Tara's name is mentioned ever in this scene and usually no time where she's around. So you have to infer it when they're talking about Tara later. Uh, you need to be good to Tara or Tara does this. It's like, oh yeah, that's his wife. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. I didn't even know. I, I never pay attention to names or anything like that in films. It's just, oh, he's the guy that does this. She's the girl that does that. So in my notes, she's Dennis's wife for the longest time. <laughs> I ended up having to look it up because I got tired of doing that. If I make it that reference, it's not because I'm belittling her. It's because the movie, I didn't notice her name for ages in the movie <laughs> and i really felt like it should have been in there i love her interaction with steve though with the racist baby <laughs> well before we get to that part is the part where she says to the baby do you see why uncle steve is way over here it's because he dated all of mommy's friends <laughs> and all of mommy's friends are now married to those wonderful guys over there <laughs> yeah. again setting up what kind of romantic life Steve has had, and also that is sort of the running joke mm -hmm. in their, their sort of family friend group. And they're so close, they're practically family, I would say. Yeah, seems like it. <laughs> That's when he suggests holding the baby, and they both say it's a bad idea, and as soon as he's holding the baby, it cries. What'd you do? You broke it! Oh no! <laughs> yeah, and then he... He tries to hide behind, oh, it must be a racist baby. <laughs> <laughs> One thing, too, though, that's very interesting is the fact that he got the baby earrings. And I says, why did you get the baby earrings? Her ears are not pierced. And he says, well, what's the point of getting her a dress? By the time she's old enough to even know who I am, she'll have outgrown that dress. That's a waste. Mm. I'm getting this so that by the time she does get them, she'll know who I am and who gave them to her. Yeah. I didn't really pick up on that the first time that I watched it, but the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, that's really clever, because he's not going to be there. Yeah. And he doesn't even know that He doesn't yet. know that either. But I like that that's the way he thinks. Yeah. And that sets up a lot for his character. It feels like a throwaway, but I instantly was like, red flags, there's something interesting here. Mm. And I'm glad I noticed it the first time. Yeah. Steve says that Tara, Dennis's wife, seems happy. And Dennis just says, no, <laughs> which is very blunt. We don't know why yet. And in fact, not even really sure why later. We sort of get Dennis's interpretation of what's going on, but we don't really get her interpretation of what's going on. Steve is going to go talk to the older daughter, Brianna, who is sitting on a big rock. And there's an obvious thing on the rock. How obvious was it to you the first time? Well, spelled wrong anyway, so it's like that's how obvious they wanted it to be. Yeah. It's almost too obvious, though. I like this there. It's definitely set up and pay off. I'm fine with that, but it's a bit much and it's a bit in my face. Mm -hmm. It's probably not. It's probably me because this is the way my brain works, and I'm always looking for these things, whether I want to or not. I'm going to notice this. I'm like, oh, this is going to be really important later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely... Well, telegraphed, isn't it? But the misspell, at least I think I picked up on why it's misspelled. Okay, well, let's get into that in a bit then. Steve asks Brianna what's wrong. She insults him for pouring a cheap beer for her. 
How do you know what a cheap beer is? She's like, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation, though, is going to get interrupted by a phone call from the doctor. Earlier, we did have a brief scene with a doctor or nurse who basically was taking blood samples because he got stabbed with a heroin needle. Yeah. He needs to get checked for HIV, a bunch of stuff. She said, is there anything that we should know? And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's okay. I need to know if I'm okay. So basically, find out, yeah, something is not okay. And it isn't because of the needle. But we will get to that in just a bit. He looks very sad. We're going to cut to black. And a telephone alarm rings. Steve wakes up. He's ready to go to work. The woman in bed says something about, you really do get up early. <laughs> he's saying, yeah, do you have to go to work or something and she says well i'm actually between jobs but i'm thinking about doing this and he looks at her and says no i don't think that's probably a good idea because she's talking about getting into astrology and things like that mm. almost fatherly which is possibly part of the denial of a kiss that he gets but probably not the weird shaking of a hand that was such an awkward handshake man it was nice meeting you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for doing business. <laughs> it's just so, so weird. Steve looks outside the house at a tree with many love hearts. And the initials J plus V is probably the most prominent. We're going to cut to Dennis and his wife cuddling in bed. She says Brianna wants to move to campus. So she doesn't want to live in the house anymore. Dennis is a bit sad. He says, I'll miss her. We cut back to Steve, and he is digging through layers of wallpaper with his fingernail. This is both symbolic and a bit dealing with his mental situation at the moment. He's sort of stuck thinking about one thing all the time, which is the bad news he got from the hospital. And also, he's digging back through layers of the house like he's going to be digging back through layers of time. Mm -hmm. At least that's the way I interpreted it. At work. They're in the ambulance preparing for a burn victim. I think there's another part where Tom does some bad driving and they get jostled. <laughs> They're going to pull up to an amusement park <laughs> to help with a burn victim. But the burn victim is a charred corpse. <laughs> the older burnout cop from before is the one who greets us, which is great. I think he's a very fun character to have. And his interactions with these two is just fantastic as well, I think. We have apparently a new cop who he turns back to and goes, what's your theory? Spontaneous human combustion. <laughs> and Steve goes, how are we going to put that in a report? <laughs> yep. But next to it is a very decorative doorknob that's sort of warped, similar to the coin that we've seen, and it's in a pile of ash. So it's not just this body, there's a pile of sort of charred wood and ash around it as well the cop will show them another of that same designer packet now we actually get to look at it he's not going to explain what it is this is called synchronic next up steve is in an mri he has visions or a dream of wooden caskets being placed in the rain for a long time i didn't know what they were doing with this and what they did with it was not at all what i expected i don't know why because it's set in, in New Orleans, I automatically thought of Hurricane Katrina. I didn't even realize it was set in this time, but that's a true story, isn't it? Like, because of the floods, graves were being kind of exhumed by the water and there were coffins floating down the street in some places. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. I was still thinking about time. Mm -hmm. 
And so I thought that he was envisioning where he was going to go or something that was going to happen. I didn't know. At this point, we don't really know what's going on. We don't know for sure if you're only going back in time, forward in time, bringing something from time. We don't know Mm -hmm. at this point in the movie. But I didn't know that. And I also didn't know if maybe his condition was causing him to have visions of the future or something like Mm -hmm. that. Right. I didn't know. And throughout most of it, it just happens over and over again. And it doesn't really get explained. But when it does, it's fitting and it works very well. They do this a few times as well, where they do a really good transition. They do transitions of Steve looking in a very particular angle in the center of the screen. And then there it is, new scene, him in the same position. Right. Steve, in the back of the ambulance, I think at this point, is typing a response to some fun texts about a, a date. Oh, yeah, let's make it a date. Let's go see something. And he's typing in giant brain tumor, but then he erases it. I think gigantic is the word he used, but yeah. Yeah. They are going now. This job is a job where NOLA, animal control, is there. Yeah. And as we enter, we're going to see a very swollen and blackened leg. We hear the word snake bite. That is coming from... The character does have a name, but I'm just going to call him Animal Control Guy. Mm-hmm. Yes, this, this is the motel from the start of the movie. Exactly. The woman is going to keep crying for Travis. The Animal Control said that they found no snake, but this is definitely a snake bite. And he's very pedantic. <laughs> this is an emergency. Now it's not the time, Animal Control Guy. <laughs> Steve says, what type of poison is it? And Animal Control Guy goes... You mean Venom. (laughs) All right. I'm actually Venom. Okay. Thank you. What kind of snake? Well, my guess would be, I wrote it down here, Eastern Diamondback Rattler, but they haven't been in New Orleans for ages. Yeah. Steve stays to monitor the swelling. I guess, I don't know this, if this is a real thing, but by monitoring the swelling and how bad it gets and the colorization, they can take a guess as to how much anti-venom they need. I'm willing to take that even if it's not. Yeah, if it's not true, then good on them for making me believe it. (laughs) The elevator is broken. The hotel clerk who was with them in the room is guiding Dennis. He says, oh, there was some sort of loud sound and something before. Maybe something fell in front of the sensor. So cut to black, open up the elevator. Dennis uses his flashlight and... With the flashlight, we also follow with the camera and we pan down to see Travis in many pieces. Yeah, completely dismembered and with a massive smile on his face. A massive smile on his face. I think the smile is from the drug. I'm not convinced it is. (laughs) All right. Do you think he's happy to To be dying? Yeah. Yeah, I've got no idea. It's confused because the drug is terrifying. It's not anything to be happy about. And he's falling out of the sky. I got a lot of problems with this because does, this is the only part of the movie that doesn't really make sense for me. It doesn't take seven minutes to fall seven stories unless time is flowing differently. And unless the seven minute thing is only for for Steve and maybe it works differently for other people. But that's not explored and it's not mentioned. So you, you're just kind of left guessing. But he's falling out of the sky. I'm guessing that he fell out of the sky onto a sand dune, was then dismembered by some nomadic tribe in the desert as a sacrifice or something like that and then left because you would not fall down an elevator shaft 
It's not like he warped back into reality, fell the rest of the way down the elevator shaft, and then exploded into pieces like you would in Half-Life, you know, or something like that. So that's what, that's the only thing I can guess. And maybe the big smile on his face is maybe he saw something incredible before he was violently murdered, you know? Maybe they, they caught him and they something amazing happened. He had this big smile and then suddenly he was just snuffed out. That's my best that I can do for that scene. Yeah, I'm still not buying it. This whole thing just felt weird. I was willing to accept the smile as being part of the drug. He was seeing something amazing. He saw a desert. But none of the rest makes any sense. I don't understand why he's dismembered. My guess is there's a cutscene somewhere. Yep. That it's on the editing floor and we kind of needed it. Yeah, because even even elevators, I was thinking, oh, maybe he was like smashed to pieces by the elevator, but an elevator doesn't go all the way down to the bottom, does it? As far as I know, there's a big, big open space there should under, be, under, yeah. underneath it. So it's not like an elevator came down and crushed him or something like that, you know, and took off all his arms and legs and left him with a big smile on his face. So yeah, it sounds like there's something missing. Something was cut from the movie. Or maybe my theory is right and they didn't have time to put in some super alien weirdness thing. <laughs> you know, they didn't have time to fill or the, or the budget to film the scene where this other thing happens. I don't know. But definitely something is missing. If I had to fill in the gap just with what we are given, maybe this guy got distorted on the way back to reality. Maybe. And that's what did it. And he was already smiling from what he thought was a drug trip. Mm. It's a stretch. That's about as far as I'm going to go, though. Yeah. In the ambulance, Steve has already taken some codeine, but he appears to be taking some more. Dennis shakes his head. He is not happy about this. We're going to move to another overhead shot of the ambulance and the city, which turns to starry sky. So we get to sort of a darkened black rooftop that turns into the starry sky, which turns into the screensaver in the doctor's office. Mm -hmm. Very good transition. I really like it. I'm not sure why we keep cutting to the starry sky, though, other than it seems like an easier transition to make. I got a theory about that as well. You do? So is that going to come at the end? Yeah. Okay. Steve is in the doctor's office, though, and this is an important scene. Here's where I'm going to talk about the actor. So the actor is called Sam Malone. Okay. Were you a Cheers fan at all? I've seen that a couple of times. Well, Ted Danson's character is Sam Malone. So trying to look up any information about this actor, 90% of it leads to uh -huh. Cheers. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, because that's definitely not Ted Danson. <laughs> no. I did want to know, though, about his eye, and I could not find any information on that. I'm sure it's out there. I only searched for maybe 10 minutes, but I just didn't Because yeah, it looks it. like he's like blind in one eye or something like that, isn't it? Right. Which I at first thought that that was on purpose, that maybe they had made him look that way. But in other, even his IMDb profile page, it looks like that is just the way his eye looks. Okay. So whereas I thought they were trying to do some symbolism and something, I think it's just, that's just the actor. Right. <laughs> The doctor says that the tumor is in a weird place, that that part of the brain should be hardened, sort of like a bottle cap, but Steve's brain is sort of like a teenager's. And it's something I didn't really look up, but it's called the pineal gland. Yeah, also known as the third eye. Which is exactly what he says. Well, my boyfriend's hippie friend says that that should be good for, like, third eye stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks, doctor. Yeah. <laughs> this type of tumor is aggressive and Steve says oh, okay so no slow death and the doctor says 
That's the good news. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get the rest of that later. We have to cut to Dennis and his wife looking sad at the kitchen table, which at this point, we don't know why they look sad. We know that Dennis thinks they're unhappy. We really have no idea what's going on. Did they just have a fight? Don't know. But we do get that answered later. He basically is going to tell the story of what happened in Katrina to basically to Steve and Dennis, what they experienced, why the caskets are there. But also then Brianna comes in and Tara says, I know you're 18, but at least text if you're going to be out all night, something like that. And it's actually a fine response. I was expecting one of those teenage angsty moments. Mm. You can't control me. <laughs> Basically just said, yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then leaves. We're going to cut back to Steve. And the doctor says the tumor could have been there a long time. We need to monitor and treat immediately. If it's been there a long time, then you could live for a long time. But if it's new, then you probably have six weeks. So it could be six weeks to 60 years, but we need to start treatment and monitoring now. He gives pamphlets for support groups and how to tell your family, which cuts then to Steve hovering his finger over Dennis's contact info, debating whether or not to call, because Dennis is his only family. We'll find that out later, but for now, we know that they're close, but when we find out later that he has no family, then it becomes even more important, I think. Dennis and Brianna are playing basketball. He asks why her grades are suffering. She says, because I don't know what my future is going to be. I don't know what my job's going to be. What's the point? It's like, well, so you don't know what you're going to do. So you're going to get a C instead. Like that's going to help your future. <laughs> they have a bit of conversation and then it cuts out on us. We don't get to hear the rest of it. And that's to play into something that will happen later. Steve basically flips an ancient coin, the ancient coin to make a decision. It's very obvious that's what he's doing. We then see he's having a beer in a bar as Dennis enters with a stack of money. So clearly, this is a strip club. Mm -hmm. Dennis gives Steve his birthday present, a light bulb statue with sort of an atom around it, to which Steve says, ooh, this is science-y. Yeah. It's a weird birthday present, and I'm not sure it quite works for me. Not as weird as one of the birthday presents I got for my wife, which was a heater. <laughs> <laughs> thanks <laughs> <laughs> and then she immediately turns it to herself yeah exactly i don't want that I'm, I'm roasting over here i just don't understand this one it feels like it should have meaning of some sort but it well i think it just plays into the, the whole i don't know i don't i don't like this part where he's like oh i've always been into science oh it's a bit I don't want to say cringy, but it's borderline for me. I, I don't like this whole explanation of why it doesn't do it for me, man. Yeah, it does push things a bit far. I think we'll get to that when it in comes, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, We're not far off, I think. But it just felt like a weird present. However, Steve also doesn't really seem to like it. So maybe it works that way. Maybe that's part of what they were doing. Maybe it's that's their tradition is to give each other bad birthday gifts or something <laughs> like that, you know? <laughs> Dennis complains a bit about being stuck in his family life, and Steve just isn't having it. No, you've got good stuff. You need to take care of it. Mm -hmm. Steve pops a pill, and Dennis confronts him on it, and Steve deflects, but Dennis makes him promise that he won't become a junky paramedic cliche. Yeah. What was that junky paramedic cliche movie with Nicolas Cage? Is it Bringing Out the Dead? Yes, I think so. Was that not also about Hurricane Katrina? 
I don't remember. It's been a very long time. Yeah. I don't even think I've seen it all the way through. <laughs> We're going to get, for the next scene, a sort of distorted camera lens. And I'm not sure why they made this choice. What do you mean? As we get sort of the establishing shot of, I believe, the ambulance pulling up and then walking into the house, it's not quite a fisheye lens, but it's sort of like that. Oh, oh, can I just say one more thing about the strip club, though? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, he mentions Debussy in uh, the music playing in the club, and Redman did a remix of a Debussy track, and it's called Syrinx. And Debussy comes in later on when it's on the record player. And just like, oh, that was just a little throwback there. It's kind of, I don't, I don't know why they chose to go with that. Well, they definitely needed something that could be from the past. Yeah, yeah. An odd choice for the strip club, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're in the next scene. And I think the distortion there, I think it was just probably a stylistic choice. Mm-hmm. I think that goes away pretty much once we really get into the scene. There's evidence of a party. We find a young man who looks pretty much dead. His eyes are open and he's not responsive. There is a young woman on a chair. Steve is going to talk to her and she says, oh, you've got to help Tim out. He has a heart condition and I think he was complaining about chest pains or something like that. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, 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 Uh, we'll we'll get to him. But is there anybody else who might need some help? (laughs) And this is where she says, Brianna. And Dennis is going to be obviously worried christina so that's the girl's name she says brianna took some sort of fake ayahuasca she's gone now over on an empty chair there's an empty synchronic packet so when she says discount fake ayahuasca she must mean the synchronic or at least that's what we're led to believe dennis calls his wife just check to see if she's in bed because we don't know they didn't say last name so at this point we don't know but it's going to lead very quickly into yes Brianna is the one that is missing. Steve is going to look up at this point and we're going to get another transition. On the ground, all around him are club symbols, like club from a pack of cards. And we're going to follow his gaze up and to the point where the world spins upside down. We're going to look at the stars again. And then we're going to cut to black and we again see the rain on the caskets. Steve goes to Big Chief. This was on the bag near Synchronic before. It's, what is it? It's something like Big Chief vaporizing products or something like that. Yeah, it's a vape shop, yeah. But he goes there just to buy all the Synchronic. And it's actually pretty cheap. I did not expect it to be (laughs) so cheap. (laughs) And he said, I want all of it. Bring me this stuff from the back. So we don't have anything from the back. They've discontinued it. There's not going to be any more. Meanwhile, a man is watching from the back. As Steve tells off the cashier, (laughs) how dare you do this? This is killing people. And she apologizes and feels really bad. She just wanted to get high. Just work here, man. (laughs) (laughs) The man who is watching is going to follow him outside. He's going to offer a ridiculous amount of money. Considering that Steve just paid a hundred bucks for it, he gets up to about two thousand. Two grand, yeah. Steve not having it, and he takes off. After Steve has bought all the pills, we get a scene with Dennis and Tara. They're printing missing person posters. Tara is just nagging him to do more. Can't you be doing something while it's printing? He's like, what? Like call all the hospitals like I did while you were sleeping? So she's obviously dealing with the stress by sleeping more. She's depressed. He's trying. 
but she just keeps going on about do more, do more. And it definitely indicates that there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. Something that we haven't seen before that has only been hinted before. This is a good moment of showing us there is something wrong. He's going to leave. The baby's going to cry. Steve hears someone in his house. We're going to cut to black as he explores his home. He tells the dog to stay and he goes to explore the home. He has a baseball bat and he actually says who's there, but he doesn't die. This isn't a horror movie. Yeah. (laughs) In the closet is the man from the store, Dr. Kermani, who says, I am the scientist. I am the chemist who created Synchronic. The idea of the designer drug is it's just chemically different enough to not be illegal, but also still gives you something similar. So he says it should feel like DMT. Yeah. Steve calls the police very logically. I love this. But he says, the response time in my neighborhood is bad. You've got until they get here. Yes, probably probably one hour. (laughs) (laughs) The doctor says people on Synchronic see time as it really is, not linear. All time is possible. And like he does bring out a record Mm -hmm. and he says... You can put the needle down here and that song will play. But all the songs are always available all the time. With Synchronic, you are the needle and you can move around time. It's actually a good bit of visual demonstration and idea concept. Finally, something new, not just someone folding a paper in half and (laughs) punching a pencil through it. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I could do to not see that again. Yeah, yeah. So I appreciated the record analogy a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Because I use that both for time and for folding space. Yes. The doctor says that teenagers and Steve, because he has an uncalcified pineal gland, they are more flexible. And so for them, it's not just seeing the other times, but actually going to the other times. But sometimes they don't come back. Yeah. Steve says, get out of here. I've already flushed all the drugs. But we know that's not true because we immediately cut to <laughs> there's the five packs in the trash can. Yeah, but the, the scientist says, well, that's great. There's only one left. The whole movie I was thinking, oh, that's going to come in handy. <laughs> but, but it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> the weird thing is the scientist says it's just a handful of cases, but these paramedics keep on bumping into them. And I think, again, this is where this parallel universe thing comes into play, where it's like, it's not just coincidence. It's like the cosmic lottery where this is the universe where they get to see them all kind of thing. They're being funneled into this direction. He says he's driven all over the country trying to buy up all the leftover synchronic, but yet it's only been a handful of cases. I don't really understand why he has to kill himself over it. Or did he kill himself over it? I mean, killing yourself with cyanide is... I mean, he's a scientist, so maybe he could get his his hands on some cyanide. Yeah, okay. I was going to do that when we got to it, but it seemed awful. I don't like that part at all i think that they did that so that there is a limit to the number of pills is it just to get him out of the picture kind of thing if he exists there's still the possibility of getting more right because i feel like he said oh we've got one more i was waiting for that last pill to be very important and he needed that one so he had to track him down but that never happens so i guess what happened is he found the last pill and went all right good night everybody see ya and checked out but cyanide (laughs) just hung himself or something like that. I I thought that was a weird choice. That's all. I also thought it was a bit of a weird choice that he was so willing to give up the drug. Right. He created it. It does something amazing. 
it's very respectable that he doesn't want to get rich off it. People are disappearing. That's good. But I don't get... Yeah, why wouldn't you study it more? Or yeah, or... Find other uses for it. Yeah, bring some artifacts from the past that are going to be worth or, or yeah, yeah, develop research into time travel. <laughs> you know, something, something like that, yeah. I respect it. I think that it is nice to have a character who doesn't immediately think of the capitalist ideal right. in this situation. But I wanted more. How does he know that Synchronic is doing all these bad things? Yeah, and especially if it's just a, a handful of cases that he's discovered. So how does he know that? This is a gap that, for me, needed to be filled in a bit. He needs to have a cop friend. He needs to have something. Because they weren't doing this in a proper research situation. Mm -hmm. It's not like they were doing FDA trials and in the trials people were disappearing. Right. It was something like that, but the drug got out. Mm -hmm. That would be a better way to do it. But I just don't understand how he has the information that he does. He doesn't seem to have a connection to all of the people who would be getting the drug. Right. So unless, I mean, if I was to fill in news stories of people disappearing and somehow he connects it. But again, it's quite a stretch with given nothing. Yeah. I mean, the thing that you talked about earlier on is like the price is so low. So he's obviously a guy that's maybe made this in his basement and he's not commercialized it. And he's been just trying to, he's been trying to get, you know, make a bit of money off of it but somehow has realized like, oh, that's my stuff that's causing that problem and he's gone out to try and fix it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good. But how how do you know this? You know, you know far more than you should, really. At this point, we cut back to what was the opening paramedic call. The man from the very beginning who came again later, who we're now hitting a third time, who had the sword through him, was bleeding out. He basically dies. And then we have a... Situation here, this is what you mentioned earlier. Steve saying, I'm a real sciencey guy, and he's telling it to the corpse, which makes no sense. And he recites information from some letter Einstein wrote to a grieving widow, I think. Yeah, and just this whole part is just really, really kind of cringy and weird for me. It's like, yeah, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a science guy, but I don't do real science like maths and equations. I just watch YouTube videos and I'm really smart. What they should have done is they should have showed him just being more methodical or being more like kind of set in his ways of doing stuff. Because what he does later on when he's taking the drugs and experimenting with them is very, very cool. And I love the middle section where he's like finding out how does this drug work and trying the same thing twice to see if he gets different results and things like that. Because he's only got five of these pills or something like that, yeah? And it's like he's really making the most of them. And have it, have it done that way. It's like, why this weird weird dialogue thing even to a lesser way i don't know why he's talking to the corpse why can't he talk to dennis about this yeah why can't dennis tease him about being an idiot and he says something like well i won my science fair five times in a row at right, least yeah. a throwaway line like that would at least put it together better than hey corpse i love the philosophy of physics and stuff yeah it just doesn't work and it feels so out of place and kind of stops the momentum of the movie at this point. Because it's not a short speech. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get then a scene of Dennis hitting golf balls again. Steve says, you don't have to work. Like We could get somebody to fill in, considering that Brianna's missing and this is a tough time. But Dennis just wants to work. He doesn't want to have to think about it all the time. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't think he wants to be at home with Tara. Yeah. Dennis is going to get a call. 
saying, hey, we've noticed some morphine missing from your inventory. Keep an eye on that. We're pretty sure it's not you guys, but keep an eye out as we see Steve pop another pill in the background. Yeah, after puking into a bin or something like that, probably. They get a call, they go in the rain, and they enter a room with people in costume. A man who in the credits is referred to as the Skeleton Man, who has the skull makeup on and the yeah. purple suit. What is the name of those? Who are they? They're like there the, is witch, a, the, the witch doctor or something like that? Is that a witch doctor? I don't think so. I would more say this probably has to do with the funeral processions. Because uh, I've only ever seen that two times. Once was in The Princess and the Frog. Mm-hmm. And the second time was he was an unlockable character in one of the Tony Hawk's games. <laughs> 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 yeah, he's uh, he's speaking away, which I guess is Haitian. I don't know what language it is. And he's so he's high on drugs yeah, that he's out of his mind. he could be speaking nonsense. I don't know. Unfortunately, I do have a friend who I probably could have asked this, but didn't have enough time between watching and, and mm. recording. Steve is going to throw up after this. Dennis is going to just keep nagging and criticizing him. And they fight, somewhat like the unnecessary fight in They Live, but not quite as long, fortunately. Yep. After that, though, (laughs) this is a point where Dennis says, Tom, get away. No, actually, come here, because I need help getting this guy into (laughs) the ambulance. (laughs) Steve is going to walk, and as he's walking, we see behind him day turn to night. So this is clearly a very long walk. At home, he is drinking. Brianna missing is on the news. He is going to take Synchronic now for the first time. We have a lot of jump cuts here. So he's there, then the dog's there, and he's clearly moving in different places. And then the TV screen he's watching just becomes static. As he looks at it, the outside light from behind it becomes very bright. And when he turns around, that wall is basically part of the bayou. The house fades. He's now outside and knee deep in water. He's inspecting nature, smells a flower, catches a small frog. An alligator gets very close to him. But that's not the scariest thing as a man in French armor comes to attack him. Yeah, basically a a conquistador comes at him. I love how he's just like like in the moment and he's just like touching the trees and yeah, smelling flowers, catching, catching that frog. That made me laugh for some reason. I don't know why. I didn't realize it, but there were actually... I thought conquistadors were only in South America, but they actually were in the southern part of the US as well. Yeah, there's a reason why a lot of the names and places are French in origin. Well, the conquistadors were Spanish. Yeah, but do you think this was a Spanish? I was assuming this was French. Does he not speak to him in Spanish, or, or does he speak to him in French? Now you're making me question it, so now I don't remember. Because I think... I wrote this down somewhere. 1762, because I tried to get the timelines of each one that he jumped through. Well, mm-hmm. each one, two, basically. Yeah, the conquistadors were in that part in 1762, so I'm guessing it's around that time. But yeah, they didn't stay, and then the French took it over. All right, well, uh, <laughs> we, we, we've totally messed that up one way or the other. <laughs> one of us is right, or none of us is right. I don't know. In the present, though, because the sword had been swinging... It does hit his ground, so there's a gash in the floor. His clothes are, I at first thought they were wet, but they're actually what he will later refer to as being distorted. Yeah, it looks like they're melted almost a little bit, yeah. And his watch progressively gets worse and worse throughout the film. Yeah. I like that, because that grounds you to what it's all about. It is, and it's a very 
I don't want to say it's a simple thing to do, but it is a cheaper effect to pull off just to make clothes look a little bit weird mm -hmm. than to have to do, you know, a bunch of CG here. Right. Though they do the CG, but I like the way that they've done it. Mm -hmm. I like the distortion way that just chunks seem to be missing and then they get refilled in. Mm -hmm. It works for me in a way that a lot of other movies don't. And I do kind of wonder if this is another time where budget maybe was a good thing, like lower budget made for better use of CG instead of having all the money and just it looks like every other movie. Mm -hmm. But I love, yeah, the style, the way that they've done that, the way things get partially warped into the other time and then become completely warped into the time. Right. Steve is going to record himself because he needs evidence. And he's saying things like, well, I may seem crazy, but I need to try this. And if I die or disappear, this is probably what happened. He says, I go back in time for seven minutes. I like that they set very clear rules. Mm -hmm. This is something I would like more movies to do. So seven minutes, everything that is not organic seems to be distorted in some way, like my clothes. And he holds up the clothes. He says already his plan now is to find Brianna, but he needs to figure out how it works. He even disappears as he's speaking and the dog is still there and whines and starts looking around for Steve and he's not there. Steve is now in snow where he was standing was a different location than before. Yep. A figure walks near him and then as he goes back, he's warming himself in the bath. He's trying to fight off hypothermia. Yeah, seven minutes of minus whatever, minus 80 degrees will do that to you. He very cleverly marks places where he was so that he can see if place matters. And this time he goes with a bundle of firewood and coat and he's ready Gloves. for it. Yeah, he's ready for the ice age again, yeah. And he does return to the same place. So like you said, very good method. I like the way that that works. The figure walks up with a spear touches his hand because he was very kind of threateningly holding the spear but he sort of touches him gently realizes i guess that he's not a spirit and then they sit down together at the fire here's something where it's just kind of a joke i think it's not much more than that but steve saying the past sucks that guy is probably 10 years younger than me but he looks 10 years older than me because he's had such a rough life because of his paleo diet yeah yeah that was a good bit he then throws out the idea that Brianna got stuck. And that's what he needs to do is he needs to find her. We see him in a treatment. Again, the rain and the caskets. We see a continuation of his talk to Brianna earlier. This is from the baby's first birthday saying, you'll find somebody. Clearly what she's upset about is I think she had a breakup of some sort. He talks about, at first I thought it was just kind of throwaway, but I think it's actually quite important. The fact that he actually set up Tara and Dennis. Yes. He said, you know, I I met her at a time where I was trying to <laughs> thin the herd. I think he said something like that. Exactly that. Thin the herd. <laughs> I set them up. They worked out. And don't worry, you'll be okay because you're not as ugly as your father. So you won't have any problems. <laughs> Which I think is particularly funny given that Jamie Dornan was gray in Fifty Shades of Grey. And I think many people find him attractive. Right. <laughs> but it's a good joke. And it works into that kind of chemistry that this 
family group has. Yeah. And I like this because it really shows you, I mean, to me anyway, it was his way of saying, man, if I could go back in time and change things, you would be my daughter. And I, I sense like a lot of regret that he didn't seize the moment. And so this made me realize now, because like before I was like, why do you really care about her that much? Get it. Okay. You want to be the cool uncle, whatever, but this really cements it. I get a really big feeling. He's got the tumor. He knows what's going down. He's like, man, I could have had, a, I could have had a family. You could be my daughter. And she's really special to him. And it makes me believe now why this turns into a rescue mission more. I get that. I do. Though I don't really get the impression that he wanted to end up with Tara. Really? I do, definitely. Do you? Yeah. I don't really get any indicator that he really likes her. I think what he likes is the idea of Tara. And the idea of having that partner in life and that stability Mm -hmm. and all of those things. I think that's what he keeps pushing for. I don't think he's pushing for, wow, Tara is the most amazing. Oh, isn't she wonderful? Oh, I want to spend more time with her. No, no, but I mean, I'm saying it's a regret that this is what he could have had. Yeah, but I don't think it's necessarily with her that he wants it. I don't think this is a, I'm jealous of you having Tara as your wife. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying there's any jealousy or weirdness. I'm just like, he could have been, what's the other guy's name? (laughs) Dennis. Dennis. He could have been Dennis, and he could have had a family. Now he doesn't, and he never will. I I get get a real sense of regret. Oh, that's definitely there. I mean, that's obvious he even says that Mm. in multiple ways i'm just saying if if you're trying to say that he really likes tara i don't think that's what Mm. the situation is i think he's jealous of that life and that's what he wants i will say i was a little confused by this just because we keep cutting to these other things the caskets from the past and this conversation from the past and the sword guy dying in the ambulance There was a part of me that didn't know if they were just having memories or if Steve, with his uncalcified pineal gland, is also jumping, even without the synchronic, sort of jumping in time in a way. Mm -hmm. Did you have any confusion with that? I definitely just timeline at times I did find it a little confusing. Yeah, like like I said, I think I I honestly think it's something to do with just things happening in different universes that are relatively the same but just a little, a little bit tweaked in other places I, I, I don't know why i think it's because of the way that he looks at the sky and the sky is so important i feel like it's almost like he's looking like i live over there you are here kind of thing i get that feeling that it's the kind of the carl sagan thing looking back at the pale blue dot this is like a mirror so maybe we're not actually time traveling maybe we're just going to another kind of version of, of this earth because the weird thing was the guy with the snake, right at the beginning, he's wearing some kind of mad mask. Mad mask? <laughs> mad Max mask. <laughs> and that confused me. Maybe that's historically something that was real, but that almost it seemed futuristic to me. So that, that part kind of confused me. So yeah, I've got this idea of, I don't know, maybe I'm just making it all up in my head because it makes it easier for me to understand. But I definitely think something definitely weird about this uh, parallel universe stuff going on. Dennis stays outside of a door. I think he's debating whether or not to go in and talk to Tara. He thinks of happy time where the three of them are all preparing to go out to dinner. Like, that's special. <laughs> it was it was kind of a push. Mm-hmm. But okay, they needed a happy memory, I guess, here. He goes to the always rock and yes. sits there and thinks. 
Steve is listening to the radio news. This is where there's the apparent suicide of Dr. Carmani. Okay. Uh, again, I think just to get him out of the picture, yep. Steve is going to stop and throw up uh, again. Mm -hmm. At home, Steve mentions that he has his last five synchronic pills. So he clearly had six to start with, but now he's got five. Six at first, yeah. Non-living things can uh, be brought back, but they're distorted like the coin. He's going to take his dog, Hawking. So again, the science reference. Back in time to see if Brianna can be brought back because he doesn't want to bring her back and have her be splinched in half or something like that. Yeah, live animal trials here. Yeah. In the past, there's the man in the house who threatens Steve with a knife. He and Hawking run. All the white men around stare at him and that's very uncomfortable. Yep. Seven minutes passes and he's stuck. He realizes he can only go back if he's in the same place again. Luckily, his drugs aren't getting warped every time he time travels. <laughs> I'll give him that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're getting slightly warped, but you can still swallow them. <laughs> Steve takes another pill and tries to sneak into the house when the man goes to sleep. We can see, again, like the letters on the tree. These are the love hearts outside of his house, right? Yeah. They get added more to later on. Yeah, because this one says AP and AS. And I was like, what does that mean? Probably, <laughs> probably nothing, Darren. <laughs> I wrote that one down too, just in case some initials came up later. Yeah. The white guy wakes up. They try to fight, but Steve is distorted and phasing, so they can't touch each other. Mm. But <laughs> some clan members enter and fire off a shot. We cut to black. Luckily, Steve is okay. There is a bit of time code flashing in the corner of the screen. Steve is back on his couch, but the leash is now cut off. Mm. Hawking whines outside. You can see him for just a little bit, and then he fades, and he's gone. He didn't have a good enough hold of him. There wasn't enough connection. Yeah, it looks like you need actual physical contact then. Which is what he says. Yeah. He says it's a bit chaotic how much can be brought back safely, and there's not enough pills to save Hawking now. Mm. And, and I'm Steve, glad. I'm he, glad about that. Because yeah. if you went back to save the dog, I would be like, no, I'm done. <laughs> but he is obviously broken up about it. Yeah. We have a flashback. This is the part where Dennis tells Tara that during Hurricane Katrina, when the caskets were being washed up, he basically shut down and he couldn't handle it. But Steve, who the caskets were actually his parents and sister actually kept working and was checking to make sure that Dennis is okay. Mm -hmm. And that just says a lot to their friendship. Yeah. They also talk about the coffins being looted. It, it just talks about what was happening at the time. I don't think it really has any impact on the story. Mm -hmm. But the thing was, that was Steve's 30th birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday. And we know now, because Brianna walks in, that this was the scene from earlier. So you have to put those together. Steve is in a bar getting drunk. And insulting Back to the Future for being too happy. <laughs> How dare you, Steve? I'm guessing that's why his dog wasn't called Einstein as well, because that was already taken. <laughs> Probably. Steve has three pills now. He's going to try leaving from that lawn chair on the balcony where Brianna supposedly was. He falls out of a tree. He sees some men around a fire bowing to a large fire. They invite him in, but... As we can tell from the subtitles, they think he's a spirit and they have to hold on to him. Mm -hmm. He's able to grab the necklace pendant from what looks like the leader. And he runs and he makes it to the tree just in time. And he grabs onto the lawn chair. 
Yeah. Which is in the tree, I guess. To which he says that apparently something from the present can anchor you. If you can see it and get a hold of it, that will help bring you back to the right place. Mm -hmm. Christina enters, the one who said Brianna took the drug originally. And he says, are you sure this is where Brianna disappeared from? No, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) The way she delivers this is just so great. Yeah. I love how he's angry at her. What? She didn't tell you because you were going to do time traveling experiments and you're you're angry at her that she didn't give you the correct information. It's pretty funny. We're back at the bar with Steve and Dennis. Dennis says divorce is definitely going to happen. Things are just too bad between them. And from the scene we saw earlier where she was just nagging at him about can't you do more and the way he just won't go in to talk to her, you could get that vibe like, yeah, that might be. It's a very stressful situation. He says that Brianna was the one that held them together. I don't think that's the case, but I I understand why Dennis would think that's the case. Mm -hmm. Steve and Dennis go walking out in the street. They're still (laughs) drinking out of a brown bag bottle here. I will say this. This is, for me, the weakest part of the movie. I think visually it's not as interesting. It's a night shot, but everything's kind of grainy. The dialogue here just doesn't quite work as well for me. Everything about this scene just feels a bit cheap compared to the rest of it. It doesn't feel as dense. This is just a bit of dialogue. It's not bad. No. I don't want to say it's bad, but compared to the rest of the movie, this part just feels the weakest. Visually, story-wise, dialogue-wise, everything, it just doesn't seem to be as good. This is the part where... Steve is going to say, hey, I've got a tumor and things are bad and you need to make things work out with your wife because I wish I had that life. So he literally basically says it here. We don't even need to imply it anymore. Dennis is upset, understandably. It's been two weeks and you didn't tell me, your best friend, basically your family about this. Like, why didn't you? But kind of lets it go and says, well, I'm glad I didn't make that bad joke about your bad haircut earlier (laughs) we're gonna find out from dennis that tom the driver was the one who was stealing the morphine of course yeah okay well we don't have any other characters so (laughs) you could blame it on a different shift but okay yeah great i I don't know why they put that in there to be honest but i mean yeah fair enough i think they were just trying to fill that gap we want you to know it wasn't steve stealing the morphine and we know it wasn't (laughs) yeah (laughs) because he was taking everything else they sit on like some rocks here this is again visually this is a really awkward handheld wobbly camera for this scene yep and i don't know if that was a choice but if it was a choice it was a bad choice i do not like it (laughs) i can clearly see when the camera's walking up closer and then walking back yeah i mean it makes sense to have that kind of camera in the endless or resolution where some of it is like almost feels like some parts of it are like a fan footage part because it wasn't even like they they were recording it for like scientific purposes, you know. Like I thought maybe yeah, I'll bring the camera along to record this. Yeah, it just I don't know, weird. Dennis complains about meeting the love of his life. He says it sucks because it's never going to happen again. That's all over. Steve, again, I don't think he's really having that, but he talks about how he's going to pause his treatment. He says the difference in their lives was random events, chance, and luck, and that's the difference between any two people's lives. He is going to take Dennis to see his family he puts the coin on the grave the distorted coin he's going to show dennis the videotape 
and all the experiments and all the information there. Steve asks, since Dennis raised Brianna and they shared genes, what would he do if he was stuck back in time? And he says, I would leave a message somewhere permanent. So, of course, we're going back to the always rock. They are drinking and talking together, I guess, as they wait for the pill to become effective. Steve says the more time that ticks forward towards the end, now that he knows he's got a deadline, every bit in the moment feels better. He also comments on the always rock. It's pretty terrible, nonspecific, and is also spelled incorrectly. (laughs) Yeah. Dennis tells a story of a call they did back when there was like the 100-year-old woman. He says that what they see, what is different in their lives as paramedics is they see the exceptional deaths that really most people, like 99% of people seem to die in their bed or something like that. Yeah. So knowing that death typically is going to happen in your bed and you know how it's going to happen, then that makes life full of infinite possibilities. And he says that's the last thing he told to Brianna was always something from a book, but I didn't quite understand this part. Right. I think that the always thing, because Brianna didn't write that. No. Right? So he wrote it, right? Yeah, but the thing was, yeah, okay. But anyway, I, I just, I I knew that. <laughs> I felt like I knew that a long time ago. Anyway, but yeah, this is a situation where I pretty much knew where the ending was going to be and what it was going to be. But I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, it's not right when a movie tells you what it's going to be doing. It's good to know that you know something about what's happening. I don't need to be surprised. Shyamalan, every every movie I watch. But the thing that got me was the spelling. So I went back, and it's exactly what the scientist told him. At least I think so, right? This is my take on it. The scientist says they're all always there, right? When he's talking about the record, he's like... Exactly what you said before about you can listen to this song, you drop the needle on this track, you listen to that song, but the rest of the songs, they're all always there. And I think that's what he wrote down on The Rock, is always combination of all and always. Mm-hmm. Because it was something that stood out, and it was something that it is not intentionally a wrong spelling. It's like a, I don't know, what would you call it? It's not a portmanteau of those two words, but it's like that kind of, you know what I mean? Combining the two together. Maybe it's meant to be the two separate words, always. All always yeah but this okay do i talk about now or do i wait till the end let me wait till the end Mm -hmm. we'll come back to that steve is going to jump in time and the beer bottle falls the one that he was holding i like that that is a small touch but it works beautifully Mm -hmm. steve is in a world of fire and sirens there's obviously a war happening is this the civil war do you think could be i don't know honestly i'm not even gonna worry about it if you want to figure it out you can figure it out i don't care Yes, there's a war happening. He is going to run. He hears some sort of whistling. Steve gets hit in the leg. He gets to a trench, and he's lying next to a dead body. He starts crawling and calling for Brianna. As Dennis waits, so we're going to cut a lot back and forth between these two scenes, but Dennis is basically going to call Tara and leave a message saying that he needs her. So they're going to get back together. So all of this has helped bring... Dennis and Tara back together as well. Eventually, we're going to get to a point in the past where Brianna says Steve's name. He gives her the last pill, tells her that something from the present will appear. She has to get it before it disappears or they're going to be stuck forever. The war sounds stop as a hazy image of the city that they are from appears. 
and they make a run for it. But of course, Steve is injured and he has to hobble his way there. <laughs> I put my nose here. Yeah, I know he's the one that's going to leave the message. I was getting a bit annoyed at this point, I think. But they made sure to put in a line about him saying, Oh, I found you because of the message. And she goes, what message? I'm like, okay. You didn't need to telegraph it that much. And I think that one annoyed me. That was like just the one too many. I didn't need that one. But it's fine. It's just going to be my pet peeve here. We're going to hear the whistling again. A man with a rifle walks out of the smoke, pointing it at Steve, calling him a slave. Steve notices a landmine, tries to get the man to step on it, but he steps over it. Brianna on the always rock disappears. There's an explosion in the near distance, which looks really cool because there's like a hand flying off as well. The rifleman steps back because of the explosion and onto the mine. That's, that's what made the hand fly and everything. That looked really good. Yeah. I, I do want to know about that more because it's about time travel. And I was just, when were landmines even invented? I thought landmines were invented in like World War One or something like that. But actually, they were used, it says uh, on one of the pages that I found here, it's uh, the army, uh, the Confederate army at the Battle of Yorktown in 1862. That was when landmines were first used. So that would put this in that time frame, at least for me. I just, yeah, when I saw the landmine, I was like, huh? I didn't realize they're that old. But yeah, they are quite old. Steve is going to hobble to the rock, but it's too late, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Dennis and Brianna are going to see a ghostly image of Steve. I think he's smiling, but it's not totally obvious. So I think you could leave that up to interpretation. I like to think that he is smiling. Maybe mm -hmm. that is me putting my hope onto it. I think if they were going for a smile, they should have gone for a bigger smile here so that we're very clear that he is happy. Like the guy in the elevator? <laughs> not, <laughs> not that much, but a very clear, at least seeing some teeth smile, something to say, yes, this is what I really wanted to do was get you two back together to get your family back together. That is what is important because he looks somewhat like somber happy at best. Yeah. And like, well, I'm stuck in the past and the past is not good for me. <laughs> yeah, definitely not great. And then there's a weird part where Dennis and Steve shake hands. So even though he was warping in and out during the fight with the clansman before now he can actually hold hands and that holding of him in the present isn't enough to bring him back or is it because we've cut and then the movie's over i don't like that <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that i like that i hate that yeah. i want it to be finished make a choice hmm. in this case you did not make a choice well, i, I think like i think that. they did because obviously he is stuck in the past and it doesn't work because he writes the message or somebody else completely different just happens to write the message. We don't know for sure. We are adding that. We are filling mm. in that gap. And I think that it's an easy gap to fill. And it's easy to support it by saying, well, she didn't do it. So somebody had to do it. Mm. And it would make sense. But then you know why I'm going to have a problem with this. We've created a paradox here. Mm. The only reason he knows to go to that rock is because of the note that he left for himself in his future, but in chronological past. No, it's not. It's not why, is it? He goes to that rock because that's her hangout place. That's where she took the drug. But they also mention the fact that it's this stupid cryptic clue that they think she left. Ah, I didn't pick up on that. I just thought they went to that rock because that's that was her pouting point. Yes, but 
Steve says, this was a pretty dumb clue to leave. It's spelled wrong and it's very cryptic. Why not leave something more specific? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I still don't understand that then. That doesn't make any sense. So I don't like it because I feel like this doesn't work. This is a paradox. If he had made it, he could have made it, then there never would have been a note. We don't know. Hmm. Maybe the scientist made it. Maybe he went to that rock and says, I'm going to go and have a, a moan here while I kill myself. And I'll write all always on the rock. I will say this. That had better be very deeply cut into the rock. <laughs> because I don't know if you've seen tombstones that are even, say, 100 years old. Yeah. But they don't always last very well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, especially on like an ocean. Not an ocean front. Is that a river front? I don't know. Is that an ocean that they, they looks out onto? Or... It'd be out onto the sea. Ah, yeah, so that would get weathered down quite well. At first, I was like, wow, he found her really quickly. <laughs> like, he just went straight into the, the into a civil war battle and shouted out her name a few times and then found her right next to him almost. So that was convenient. But then if you think about it, he's only minutes at best behind her anyway, because time is always. So he probably dropped in right behind her almost. But she is wearing another person's jacket and stuff like that. So she's been very resourceful very quickly, which would make sense kind of for her character. I think that, like you said, I think that she was only a little bit ahead of him. Yeah. That the place takes you to pretty much the same time. The moment, yeah. I almost expected him to get through and she would be right there. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't far off. So like you're saying, a few days means... The difference of a few minutes, and that would be okay. Yeah. I mean, she could have been in that area for, well, she has been by our timeline thing. She's been there for, I don't know, a week maybe? Who knows? Yeah, but I think a week is way too long to think that she's been there that whole time and not been escorted away or injured or, like you said, even survived, given that it's right in the middle of a war zone. Yeah. I'm willing to say, yeah, that one is fine. But I will again say, I think the beginning of the movie is incredibly well made Mm -hmm. and by the end this cop out of not making a choice as to whether he makes it through to make that clear Mm -hmm. the night conversation of them drinking in the street doesn't work as well for me that whole end part just it's fine it wraps things up but it doesn't have quite the impact or the the finish of the promise that the beginning of the movie had but as a whole I love it. I was really thrilled to watch it. I will be watching this one again. This one actually just made me want to go back and watch Resolution and the Endless. And I suspect that's the way it's going to be with a lot of their stuff. I'm going to see it and I'm going to go, this is pretty good. Let me see the other stuff again. And that says something from somebody like me. Something in the dirt. Here we come. Before we go, there is one thing that I do want to throw in that I haven't really talked about or maybe I've hinted quite heavily Mm -hmm. about. But it is the parallel not between parallel worlds, as as you want to discuss, but the parallel between these families. We have, I mean, yeah, there's the baby, but let's ignore the baby. It's barely part of the movie. We have the mother, father, and daughter, and that's the family. And that is the family that is essentially the equivalent Steve lost when he was very young. Mm -hmm. Because he was only 30 when the whole family washed up, meaning they had already been there for a while. Yeah. So for a long time, this was his only family. And it's more than that because you have Steve who has helped put this family together. And this family who, like the daughter, he has a rapport with that even the father doesn't just because he's the father. 
oh, I bet she'll talk to you because you're the cool uncle. Mm. And they have that sort of interaction. So I think the whole thing with Steve, I think, works very well in the fact that he has been a part of this family since it began. In fact, he helped make it happen. He hates the fact that the daughter says, well, I'm 18 now. He's like, oh, that makes me feel so old because I've been there since the beginning and all the way through. Yeah. And that his biggest desire at the end of his life is to make sure that that family, through him just telling Dennis to get over what he needs to get over, you have the love of your life, be happy that you have her, get back together, let me get your daughter, now you're all together again, and that is the important thing for him. And I think that that works very well, all those parallels, all the way they set up the characters, I think that that is quite a good bit of storytelling that goes all the way through and gives him incredibly strong motivation to do what he does. Gaps filled and more gaps created. He was good. The fall for me was not so much. Mm -hmm. It started off great. And then by the end of the first season, I kind of lost interest. Fallen off it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 